This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PDT. Episode 46, we continue our discussion with the founders of the tools now in the ANSYS world with an interview of the two founders of CFX, Paul Galpin and Brad Hutchinson. Greetings from Vail, Colorado. This is Eric Miller, one of the owners of PADT and your uh, host here on today's podcast. I am in Vail, Colorado, as I said. Yes, it's beautiful, especially the temperature. Um, it's It's been 110. It's been over 110 Fahrenheit in Phoenix for a little bit longer than normal this summer. So it's been very nice to uh, have the cool weather in the beautiful mountains. Um, I'm here for the Rocky Mountain Life Sciences Investing and Partnership Conference. It was a great day of listening and talking to startups from the region who are making healthcare better. Some very amazing things, lots in the, the area of genetics and drug delivery and uh, digital medicine, really cool stuff. Uh, unfortunately, this time there was nobody talking about simulation, so I'll stop there because this is all things ANSYS. Um, also, I will note that this episode is an interview again with uh, some founders of one of the tools in the ANSYS suite. And uh, because it was such a great discussion, it went a little bit long. So we're going to cut the beginning and end of the podcast a little short and focus on the interview. I'll also do one more apology, which is that uh, I didn't bring my fancy headphones with me on this trip. I'm using my, um, my music headphones, my Bluetooth headphones. So it's a little little sketchy, but uh, hopefully you can understand me. It won't be too bad, and I won't talk that much anyway, because we're going to focus on the interview. Uh, which brings us to the topic of today's episode, and it was an interview with two founders of CFX. For those who don't know, CFX is a general purpose computational fluid dynamics code, CFD, and it was acquired by ANSYS Inc. a bit back. Uh, a fun fact, ANSYS has acquired four CFD solvers that I know about. Uh, back in the early days of the code, they acquired uh, Flowtran, which is a Fortran-based uh, FEA, CFD solver, and it was actually integrated into the ANSYS solver, what's now ANSYS Mechanical APDL. Um, most people don't know that. <laughs> there was also an acquisition of a company, I think that was out of Palo Alto, California, that had a multi-physics tool. I can't remember the name, but it had a CFD solver in it as well. Nothing really ever came of that. Um, then we really got serious when ANSYS acquired CFX, which is a, a fantastic tool, and then Fluent. But uh, we're here to talk about CFX today, uh, a tool that's near and dear to PADT's heart because of its strength in turbo machinery. Um, as many of you may or may not know, most of us at PADT, you know, over half come from the turbo machinery world, and we love CFX. We love what it can do um, in the turbo world as well as outside the turbo world. It is really a fantastic tool to use. Um, we, we really like it. Um, and... That's why we virtually sat down with Paul and Brad back in July. Uh, I do apologize. I said that was my last apology. This is, there'll be more. <laughs> I apologize to them and all of you for taking so long to publish this. Um, we do schedule these podcasts usually around webinars and other events. So we talk about what we're going to talk about at the webinar or event. Um, and so we didn't really have an empty spot till now to put this one in there. So um, I'm happy to say it is time. And I think you will enjoy hearing what they have to say. I'll let Paul and Brad explain the rest and introduce themselves and give you their background, and please do enjoy. 
So welcome with uh, my discussion today with two two people I've had the pleasure of knowing for quite some time, and uh, uh, Paul Galpin and Brad Hutchinson, who are uh, two of the founders of a piece of software and a company uh, called CFX, which is part of Ansys Inc. now. And they're kind enough to join me from the uh, Great White North, which is neither white but still great, I guess, right now, um, and uh, discuss kind of how they got where they are. So, hi, guys. Hi, Eric. Hey, Eric. Good. So why don't you introduce yourselves and give us some background on kind of up to how you ended up doing numerical simulation. You know, a lot of people don't, in high school, you don't go, I really want to do a career in, in uh, numerical simulation. So, you know, how, how did you end up in that world? Uh, what did you major in in college and why? And, and how did you end up in the world of simulation? Why don't you go why first? Go, Brad, Paul. go first. Paul, go first. Paul, go first. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think in secondary university, we were in uh, some mechanical class, and uh, they showed this this movie. Uh, no videos back then. It was an actual movie, <laughs> and uh, part of it was was on gas turbine blades and how the temperatures went up. And then partway through, they showed this uh, thing called uh, FEA and these these meshes and these nice colorful plots. And I thought, man, is that ever cool? And uh, kind of from there, um, you know, early on in undergrad, I ended up taking a uh, FEA class and uh, had a work term one time uh, up at Chalk River, and uh, they were doing CFD up there and started reading Patankar's book uh, while the laundry was being done and so forth, <laughs> and uh, kind of got bit, bit by the bug at that point. Cool. And this is Waterloo that you were at? Yep, University of Waterloo, yeah. yeah. Okay. How about you, Brad? Yeah. Um, well, as an undergrad, I went to University of Waterloo, and um, I had had classes with this really excellent professor, Professor George Raithby, mm. and um, I later came back to do a PhD with him. Uh, but, you know, between undergrad and PhD, I went to University of Toronto, and I did experimental work, or largely experimental work, but with some numerical uh, parts to it, basically in flow calculations and you know, classical boundary layer calculations. So I did some computer work and, you know, doing experiments is, is difficult. I have a lot of respect for people who do experimental work. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I had had enough of it for the time being. So I decided to go into numerical work and uh, George Raithby, who I already mentioned, was a, a top guy in the area of uh, numerical methods. And uh, since I had known him from the past, I went back to Waterloo and did my Ph.D. with him. And so that was really um, – that got me into um, numerical simulation. Cool. And that, and that leads into you know, my next question, which is – you know, CFX is a fantastic general purpose code um, and commercial code, right? And so, you know, were you guys sitting around in the school cafeteria uh, and said, hey, let's write our own code? What, 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 where did the de decision to, to go ahead and write a piece of software that you could sell come from? Well, I guess a little bit of the background yeah. is, you know, both Paul and I worked on development of numerical methods because in, in those days it wasn't clear um, how things should be done in CFT. There were all kinds of different methods and none had really solidified. And the ones that did exist, uh, they needed uh, augmentation. There were things to be done. It's much different, you know, 40 years ago or whatever it was, um, things were much different. The methods weren't nailed down. A lot of work uh, yet uh, had to be done on development of 
solution methods, discretization methods, even the, the basic framework and structure. So we got involved in development of methods. And for me in particular, I was working on environmental flows, specifically rivers. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there were a great deal of problems in getting these, uh, getting solutions to uh, such uh, flows. Also, of course, the, in the 80s, early 80s, the computing power was, you know, incredibly <laughs> less advanced than it is today. So we had to develop methods uh, that um, would, would yield solutions without having the tremendous computing uh, power that we have today. So we started developing methods and, uh, well, um, we sort of got drawn in. Once we started our company, we got drawn into a variety of applications. So perhaps that's what led to a general code because we got working on um, environmental flows, on turbo machinery flows, nuclear flows, as Paul mentioned, and, and a variety of different things. And so the, the code had to be fairly general in its ability to do a wide range of flows, for instance, incompressible, in, uh, and compressible, supersonic even, mm -hmm. um, with heat transfer, with um, a variety of different capabilities. Um, and in those days, there, there wasn't much in the way of general codes or, you know, one or two, but they were quite limited. Um, so we got contracts with a variety of companies and they all led us in a variety of directions and that sort of yielded hmm. general. You know, Paul, you can probably add a lot more to it than that. Yeah, well, um, you know, we didn't we didn't know what we didn't know, so that was quite helpful. <laughs> we weren't constrained by any facts at the time, and you know, we were all excited by our coupled solver work. I was doing coupled solver, and Brad was doing multi grid type work. Mm -hmm. And um, well, George Rafe, he'd he'd experienced this several times before, where he got a a batch of graduate students, and they would um, really come up to speed and make a contribution, and then they'd all disappear. Mm -hmm. And, and he'd been through this cycle a couple of times, and, and there, was, there was Brad and I and uh, Jeff Vandermal um, and, uh, and Michael Raw as well. We were all finishing about the same time, and, and George gathered us together and says, you know, don't disappear. Let's start a company. Huh? Let's, commer let's commercialize this stuff. And that was in 85. 85, okay. And, yeah, and uh, at that point, you know, we didn't, or most of us didn't have any mortgages or kids or commitments, and <laughs> so we kind of naively said, yeah, you know, <laughs> we can do this. And um, so off we went. And, uh, you know, those days the software planning when we started was, uh, you know, only a few minutes to, you know, head off into writing a piece of software that might last for 10 years. Uh, you know, we, we, had, we had to learn software engineering at the same time too. And um, so, yeah, we took what we learned and, uh uh, George really was well known worldwide, and he got us some starting contracts. Great. So he was part of the company initially. Oh yeah, he was the he was the the uh, the president, and he <laughs> he knew he knew how to talk to real customers and and uh, get sales. And you know, we went on went out over and started plotting around Europe and various places in the U.S. and and Canada as well, and got us those uh, startup contracts. So cool. So how did how the name CFX come to be? Uh, well, see, um, Brad and I are one country company before that. Yeah. So the, the first company was ASC, Advanced Scientific Computing. Okay. And that that made TaskFlow, which is the first code that ah. uh, Brad and I were involved in. And then the the roots of TaskFlow became uh, uh, embedded in CFX. Okay. Yeah. So so ASC 
uh, and Tasflow were were uh, we were a private company until '97. Uh, and probably was it ninety seven or ninety six? Yeah, ninety seven. Ninety seven, yeah. So ninety seven, we got purchased by AEA Technology. Okay. And AEA Technology was this um, government government based uh, company with Atomic Energy in the UK, and they had the code uh, CFX four. And uh-huh. and they were just they were trying to go to unstructured from structured unstructured meshing and so were we we were going from task flow to task flow for CAD and they were in chemical industry and we were in not the chemical industry so we we're actually a reasonable match and uh, so they purchased us uh-huh. and um, that's how it happened and the name CFX as far as I understand it AEA Technology um, uh, originally had a, they had a code developed called Flow 3D, and it was in conflict with another co- code called Flow 3D from Los Alamos, I believe. Yes. And um, and so they had a bit of a legal tiff over this, and during that time, they didn't know what they were going to call their new code, like CF something. So they put CF asterisk, <laughs> CFS, CF asterisk, whatever that asterisk might be filled in, and then it got a little hard to say, so it turned into CFX. And then it stuck. <laughs> it's a great name. I, I did not yeah. know that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and then it. when and then when the two groups got together, we really did merge technologies, mm-hmm. and um, and then Taskflow and CFX4 became CFX or CFX5 today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the code we know that that's a part of the Ansys family. Is that that's, that that's right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That right. And then Ansys bought us in mm-hmm. in 2006. Yeah. Three. Three. Oh yeah, it was flown was two thousand and six. Sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. Two thousand and three. Yeah. Cool. So 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 that gives us a kind of a background on how how you got where you were and and the and I re- I really like knowing like where the names came from and who was involved early on. Is there anybody that was part of that early team you want to mention that uh, give a shout out to that we haven't mentioned already? Kind of put you on yeah, the spot probably there. Probably lots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, from the ASC side, I mean, George Rafe, being our mm-hmm. professor, he was instrumental. Without him, <laughs> we w- wouldn't have had Taskflow CFX or anything else. And he was kind of the key guy mm-hmm. initially. And Jeff Vandermal, he was the same as Paul and I. He had done his PhD and in, in particular had worked on solver methods and uh, extending incompressible methods to compressible flows. And then there was Michael Raw, mm-hmm. uh, who joined us a little bit later, but Michael uh, was instrumental in, in sort of the, uh, the basic, this element-based um, structure. He had done some of that work on his PhD. So um, those were the main guys, or we were the main guys, I guess, with with uh, ASC. And then, then we joined up with CFX and um, on, in the AEA technology world, there were some other um, good developers there who made some some great contributions as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Did you guys write in Fortran or C back then? Fortran. Fortran. Good. It's yeah. my first language still. English is second language. <laughs> I, I learned the reason why I even know the University of Waterloo exists is because I weren't learned Watt five. Um, yeah, Watt five in college. Yeah, <laughs> which is from the a Fort. For those of you who are young, it was a, a teaching version of Fortran that the University of Waterloo developed that uh, engineering schools used around the country to uh, around the world to teach Fortran. So, kind of a forgiving version of Fortran. Yeah, it was very very forgiving, and mm-hmm. maybe that's the other point that uh, we hadn't mentioned is that. 
uh, okay, it's much different today in terms of computing capabilities, but in the in our early days, the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, uh, Waterloo had um, powerful for the time mm-hmm. computing uh, capabilities. So this was one a uh, one attraction, and you know, we had access to these old 40, IBM 4341 and 4381 computers, which were you know heavy stuff at the time, and that enabled us to do um, the work that we did early on, mm-hmm. and of course. They have pretty good infrastructure, and as you mentioned, Watt 5, so there was a lot of good support there for um, anybody doing computer-related work. Mm-hmm. So that was certainly a key enabler for us in the early days. Yeah, yeah. One of, I remember one of George's uh, early CFD codes, it was on cards, and he had this mm-hmm. tremendous, you know, Navistoke CFD code on cards, and he took it down to the heavy-duty computing center at U of W and started doing his simulations, and they got back to George after a while and says, you know, Rafe, there's something wrong with your software. It's running, it's broken. It's running forever. He said, no, 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 it's a CFD calculation. <laughs> they didn't, they taking that long to run. It's still true today, right? A CFD run never really converges. We just accept that it's converged, right? <laughs> um, that is really cool to know. Um, so, so kind of uh, thinking back on where CFD is today, is there something that, you know, surprised you something that you didn't expect that would happen in in the world, and 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 it and it and it did happen, or something that you thought would happen and didn't happen. No, go ahead, Paul. You're still working. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, on, on the one hand, uh, I mean, it's tremendous success with CFD as an industry now. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the codes are accessible, and um, you know, the methods are quite. And, you know, someone can really walk up to a piece of software, a commercial CFD software, and they can get an answer. It's still very challenging to get a quality answer. Um, I th- it's surprising to me that the numerical methods have really stagnated. So they, mm-hmm. well, there's work going on in universities, of course, in higher-order methods and so forth. But but by and large, you know, there's still the, the two communities. There's the density-based community, mm-hmm. community. And most of the commercial codes are pressure-based. Uh, on the pressure-based side, the whole community relies on, you know, reach-out uh, approach to the numerics for uh, collocated mesh. It's it's really surprising that it hasn't gone past that, really, as far as I know. Uh, certainly not commercially. Maybe it's out there somewhere at a university that hasn't made it to mainstream yet. But it's it's surprising how little change is happening today in numerics. Um, you know, you go to a conference like IGTI and you just don't see very little on numerics now. That's a good point. People are people are adding things, to, you know, equations to the numerics. So they're at they're you know pre and post processing. Of course, is a huge focus, especially meshing, um, or they're working on the efficiency of the numerics. But you're right, the numerics yeah. themselves. I never thought about that. I'm not really changed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you go to a conference like IGTI, and it's really a testament to the state of, C- of CFD. I mean, the, almost everyone there that has CFD in their presentation, they're doing a design, and they're talking about their design, and they're talking about the improvement of their, you know, some aspect of, of their machine. So, by the way, yeah, we, we use CFD, we use CFX, and we did this, that, and the other to it. But it's just kind of mentioned in passing that, of, of course, we're using CFD, and of course it works. So, <laughs> Is what a lot of the talks are. Now, you know, the truth is it's still a lot of uh, challenges out there for CFD. Yeah. And the challenges are very similar to they were a long time ago. It's still, you know, 
a long, painful process to make meshes in a lot of cases. It's still, um, you really have to be careful to do a quality calculation. To get a calculation, it's hard to get a quality calculation. That is very, very true, and we see that every day here at PNET. Is uh, I got an answer, but uh, we, we were actually doing a uh, uh, a relatively what we thought was a relatively simple mixing problem where for a water treatment plant, um, and it just was not working. It was not working. It was not working, and you know it was one of those things where one little change in a parameter, oh, boom, there it is. Now it's now it's converging, and everybody's happy. So it still still can be a pretty finicky uh, behavior. Um, so, you know, that kind of, it kind of begs a, qu a question of, do you think we'll see any new CFD codes? I mean, was, I don't know what, I don't know what the last one kind of commercially successful code was that was written. Maybe it was CFD plus plus, or, um, maybe it was this latest version of CFX, but I mean, do you think we'll see a new from the ground up CFD code, or do you think we're just going to patch on the old codes? I'd have a go. Well, it's it's kind of hard to say. I imagine there will be. The thing is that these days, to get a CFD code to um, commercial level, commercial capability, just takes a huge amount of effort. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's a huge effort to do that. So there are incumbent codes. CFX is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, for another code to get to that level, it's it's a huge huge job. Um, so I don't know. Uh, if, if someone can afford it. Um, but, you know, I would go back to you know, what Paul was talking about, um, you know, surprises. You know, it, it seems that in the early days, in the 80s, when we were working on CFD, there seemed to be a lot of focus on development of methods. And I, I remember at the time I was working on multigrid, and, you know, I would read these papers by this guy named Aki Brandt that he was doing nonlinear multigrid and claiming to get solutions in six work units. So it's like six iterations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought that that would be the future. But, I mean, we're nowhere near that um, today. So I, I think there's a lot of work to be done on the methods. Paul mentioned grid generation, which is still – you know, ridiculously difficult compared to what, what it should be. Mm -hmm. The other thing is turbulence modeling. I mean, right. particularly in ANSYS, you know, who has the best turbulence modeling, the best commercial mm -hmm. turbulence modeling that I know of due to the efforts of Florian Mentor and his team. I mean, they've made big improvements, but many calculations are still done with just variants of the K-Epsilon model, which, which you know, came out in the, in the 70s. So there's a lot of work to be done. Um in terms of, of uh, turbulence models. Yeah. Um, so I think to a large degree, a lot of the, the, the advances in CFD have depended on the acceleration in computing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have huge amounts of memory compared to what we used to have. The CPUs run much, much, much faster. Um, and so a lot of the gains are, you know, riding the hardware capabilities, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done in in turbulence and grid generation in the fundamental numerical methods. I mean, Paul and I worked on evaluating certain types of nonlinear numerical methods back in the early 80s, and, well, we have never much came of that, and, you know, I, I don't know why. So I think there's, it, there is, to some degree, stagnation. I mean, the, what hasn't stagnated is the widespread usage of CFD. Right. Um, but there's still a lot of room for improvement, and, and you know I agree with Paul on the point of quality. Um, 
Uh, maybe that comes to education and training as well. Um, there's a lot of CFD calculations done, but you know, <laughs> there's a lot more quality involved. <laughs> there's a lot of wasted clock pulses out there. <laughs> that that I mean, is true. We yeah. used we used to spend a lot of our time walking people through, you know, how to use the software and and. Uh, you know, how do you tell it's converged and, you know, what choices have you made? And, and there's a lot to be learned by users on, on that front. I mean, the more that that could be incorporated in, into the software, the better. Um, and, in, and to some, to a big degree, we tried to do that in CFX. I mean, the, the, one of the biggest differences between CFX and all other codes was the coupled multigrid solver. Right. And with that solver, it, it got a, around for many cases a lot of the cases of lack of convergence that other methods would yield um, so these advanced methods can be built into the software and i think more needs to be done in that area today and and if that could be done then um, the quality would continue to go up more better better faster i mean eric back to your question about you know a safety code for the future um, on the one hand it's it's kind of it's kind of uh, a shame if, if there isn't some new code for the future. It's kind of hard to imagine that there isn't. You know, you think of the auto industry or whatever other industry, they keep reinventing themselves. And uh, you would think the same thing would happen with, with CFD, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is a, a gigantic job, and I think it really needs a driver. So, you know, in the 80s, the driver was, let's make the very first code. The right. first commercial CFD code, and so there was lots of companies doing this. And then in the late, you know, mid to late 90s, pretty well everybody rewrote their code, CFX included, and, and all, probably all the others, because of two reasons. It was driven by parallel processing, right? And you, and you really had to write your code from the ground up with that in mind to to make it work well. So parallel processing, and everybody went from block structured grids to unstructured meshes in the in the 90s. So we need that next driver. You know, if the next driver is, um, you know, some massive parallel GPU that could really work, or um, uh, you know, some new numerical method that that really drove you to to rewrite your software because there's a real big benefit coming from it. Um, but at, at this point, it's it's kind of elusive, you know. And you know, you really do need a big driver to put that big investment in it. It's a it's a giant investment, as you know. You know, it's decades or more of tens or maybe 50 people working on it for you know, a long time. Be hard yeah. to catch up. Be very hard to catch up. Yeah. 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 yeah there's got to be a real motivator. Or maybe the higher order methods will be a real motivator. Mm -hmm. There's lots of higher order codes out there, you know, and I think it, it's still on the bubble. Um, when those codes, um, you know, really give computational benefit for the accuracy. Or maybe someone comes up with a whole new approach to turbulence that isn't RANS, it mm -hmm. isn't LES, but it's some other thing right. yet to be discovered, and then that causes everybody to rewrite their codes, yeah. maybe. Don't know. Yeah. And, and, and Adaptation might be the other one. I mean, it works okay. great in 2D, but, you know, for, for a code to be uh, truly adaptive, to refine the mesh where where it makes sense, and to do so in such a way that it doesn't, you know, take a 100,000 node mesh and make it into 10 billion nodes or something like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. A better transient method because, you know, in the early days we mostly did steady state calculations. Right. Now it's much more transient. So um, 
something that could overcome those challenges. Um, uh, yeah, I think Paul's right. If there, if something could drive it, uh, a new technology developed and something to drive it, then yeah, it would be worth rewriting all the codes. But until then, it's probably, you know, patch on to or, or improve what we already have. Yeah. Which is good. Which is good. It's easier to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, um, Anything else you want to add about the history of CFX or the future before I ask you the last couple questions here? Well, it's still tremendous fun. Uh, it's still tremendous fun using the software. That's for sure. I mean, yeah. I'm using CFX every day, and um, uh, you know, it's 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 tremendously satisfying, and it's it's really crazy the the physics and the creativity of customers end users taking these softwares and using it in a way that uh, a developer never even uh, thought could could be possible, but yet it's in the physics and it works. You know, yeah. that, that's really cool. Very, very yeah. cool. Yeah, very cool to see that. Um, so uh, that, that leads me really perfect to my next question for you guys. What, what are you guys up to these days? Are you, 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 Paul, you're, you're uh, still doing consulting, I think, and uh, I, I heard something about trees in your your uh, life, uh, Brad. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Paul's still slaving away. I worked I worked hard and long. Yes. <laughs> in the in the engineering uh, simulation, CFD, and and miscellaneous business. So, um, you know, my days of doing that are over. So I'm retired. Excellent. Very good. <laughs> so I, I like, I've always liked to spend a lot of time outdoors and, and I do a lot of that now. So I'll, I'll, uh, you know, while I have a lot of fond memories of, of doing CFD and, and engineering, um, you know, there's lots of younger guys that can, uh, you know, take up that challenge. Good. But you're up pretty late at night some of these days too in, in your new career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I always was a bit of a night hawk. I think graduate, coffee in graduate school did that to me. Yeah, I was thinking of your uh, your uh, your band these days. Oh yeah, well, I play a bit of music, but that's uh, oh fun. Oh yeah, so, no, he's he's understanding. He's yes, I, I I'm I'm also trying to draw it out of him, but uh, he's being modest. Uh, I and and I'll just leave it at that and say you you can be a world class numerical uh, simulation expert and play a mean guitar at the same time. So uh, <laughs> is, is he Brian May? I don't know. Astrophysics and the Queen, yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, he uh, it, it's pretty good. You can you can be multifaceted and it's one of the things we like about brad is uh well I, i'm of the same vintage so we can leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> how about you paul why don't you tell us about what you're up to yeah so i'm in uh i'm doing cft consulting the company's called isimq so i'm here in, in canada and i have a sister company in germany uh isimq uh, Gambeha and stands for Innovative Simulations with Quality. So okay. um, we help we help uh, customers by and large that are already using the software and and mostly CFX, mm -hmm. and um, we help them get more value out of it, either getting to some new new technology in the software that they haven't uh, gone into. So maybe unsteady turbo machinery instead of steady or um, you know something along those lines, and uh, just help them uh, you know. Get more reliable quality, and uh, use it in a in a creative way that maybe they haven't uh, haven't had a chance to to figure out on their own yet. And 
Yeah, so we're, we're consulting all over all over the world and uh, really having a great time. It's it's really satisfying working directly with the uh, the end user on the coal phase, trying to make their machine better. You know, and. Uh, yeah. It, that that reminds me of a question I skipped that I'll go back to that just just popped in my head is, so you're out there using the code now that you wrote portions of both of you wrote portions of many many years ago, is there is there a decision you made back in the day uh, or maybe doing the rewrite that became the CFX code that uh, you wish you would have done something different? Well, we should have started unstructured in the '80s. That's what we should have done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's. I, I, you know, when I use when I use tools, I wrote ten, fifteen years ago. What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, I I think um, you know we focused a lot on the technical because Paul and I were fundamentally technical guys. But on the business side, you know, getting things to market um, sooner mm-hmm. is so important. And I think you know with CFX, and I should point out, I didn't write a line of CFX. I mean, what I did is I worked on. Numerical methods, methods ah. development. I worked on TaskFlow, <laughs> and then TaskFlow morphed into CFX. So you know, maybe some of my lines made made it into CFX, but they are undoubtedly rewritten. And there are guys like Dan Williams and Paul Gilbert that did you know a ton of work on making CFX what it is. And you know, I didn't do much of that. I ended up working a lot with customers. Like Paul was just saying, right. it's rewarding to work with customers and to, to help them. Um, solve challenging problems, and and uh, you know, I, I did a whole lot of that. I actually didn't uh, write too many lines of CFX, but you know, to your question, um, you know, we we did some things in CFX that delayed getting to market, mm-hmm. and they were allegedly at the time for technical reasons. But you know, in hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I wish we hadn't done some of those things and got got to market sooner because when you get to market sooner, then you can generate more money. With more money, you can do more development. And uh, I think that that slowed us down a little bit. I think, you know, a lot of the technical decisions were very good. There was some very strong technology. I think in one area or so, we took it a bit too far. It delayed us to getting to market. And I think we could have ultimately uh, developed the product even faster and and further uh, by taking a slightly different approach. But uh, that's, you know, that's hindsight. On the other hand, you know, it, it's a great piece of software it works. <laughs> uh, today. It, it's in, in, you know, many, many companies and engineers use it worldwide every day. They can't mm-hmm. uh, survive without it. So there's, there's, you know, great on the upside, but yeah, and you can always look back and, and see where you could have done things better. And I think that's the main one that I see. Yeah, uh, that's that's a that's a really good good advice for people. And you know, nowadays when we work with startups, we always talk about this idea of a minimum viable product. Um, I don't think that was really a concept back then, right? And and I think through 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 learning the hard way, people have realized that you just got to get whatever you can get to market with uh, as a as a good working product, but the minimum viable. It's still viable, but it's the minimum size, and get out there as soon as possible. It's good yeah. advice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't get in front of customers very often in the early days because I was just pure technical. And if I went out there and started talking, you know, it would just be total gibberish or scare them <laughs> off thinking this was too complicated. We were all excited about our technology, so we'd love to talk about it. But right. the customer actually at that point, they were just like, well, can this solve my problem or not? And we're talking about, you know, multi-grid and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And 
and uh, um, you know, we, it was a while before we came around to the the real business aspects. And certainly, Brad led the way on that. Brad and George, but uh, myself, uh, they kept me in the back closet there. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I still remember, and I don't remember where it was, but you were on a panel. I was in the audience. You were on a panel, and uh, a younger user, a younger, I may have been in development, or a user was was started to argue with you about some aspect of the solver uh, in CFX, and he had no idea that you had been involved in the early writing of that. And I, remember, I wonder where that. I wonder where that was. <laughs> it was. It was some. It was some event. I remember you up on a. On a it was probably one of the sales kickoffs. Um, okay. And uh, one of the ANSYS sales kickoffs. Where, for those who don't know, every every year everybody in the ANSYS family gets together and kind of kicks off the year. And and I and I I remember just shaking my head and going, this this kid has no idea how wrong he is <laughs> but you were very gracious about it you didn't you didn't stand up and say i wrote it damn it uh, <laughs> that, that, that might have been the conference with the mullet wig i think i think that it may have been it may have been there we would try and make them fun so there may have been some costumes involved in some of these uh some of these things um so um any speaking of young people um not not to malign millennials and gen y folks too much although i do enjoy doing it uh is is there any words of wisdom to you know new grads out there or people that are still in college that you want to pass along to them before we we sign off? Um, I, speaking for myself, um, I mean I benefited from a very good classical education, mm -hmm. and um, I think that's still important. Learning the fundamentals and mm -hmm. and. A lot of the stuff I learned in as undergraduate in, and in grad school, I mean, some of those ideas made their way into the software. But when it comes to using the software, you, you know, you can't beat uh, knowing the fundamentals because when you do a calculation, you have to say, well, does this calculation make sense? Mm -hmm. And, well, you know, what yardstick do you use to make that judgment? Well, if you have a good understanding, a fundamental understanding of, fluid mechanics and heat transfer and thermodynamics and whatnot, then it makes it a whole lot easier. So I think, you know, I know that the undergraduate curriculum is really crowded these days and people are all enamored by you know, computers and, and uh, you know, the web and whatnot. But, you know, learning the fundamentals as an engineer is, is really, really important. And, you know, those that, that did and were good at it, well, we would see that in their calculations. Right. Those people would, would be successful, or more successful than others who really um, paid a whole lot less attention in class. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I, I agree with that one. How about you? Well, um, you know, simulation has been tremendously good to me, and uh, it's still very satisfying and uh exciting really even for me even you know doing it doing it some new calculation on some new device and uh if if someone when you're graduating if you can if you can somehow be fortunate enough to latch on to something that really turns your crank mm -hmm. um i mean that's i know it's all cliched but it really is uh you're tremendously fortunate and i hope some guys can be fortunate out there and get into cfd mm -hmm. and get bitten by the bug or simulation in general mm -hmm. you know it, pre it predicts the future that's what, what, yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think, pretty darn cool. You can predict how your device is going to work before you get there. And, um, so, yeah, I was lucky enough to, um, you know, stumble into something that, that uh, still is very satisfying after, you know, 35 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I think that that makes it so much easier. Whatever it is you're 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 heading into after engineering, you know, don't do it just for the money. I know that's all cliched, but uh, find something you really love and go for it. Yeah, that's really, really good advice, and I think we're all three of us are fortunate enough to have, on purpose or by accident, ended up doing that, um, and uh, it has been uh, – it's just a lot of fun, and it, and it still is. Uh, it's changed a lot, but I still enjoy you know digging into these problems and solving them, and like you said, predicting how things are going to behave is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It is. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And fundamentals, I can't I can't overstress that. You know, I ask that question of everybody, whether they are a new grad or experienced folks like yourself, and almost everybody agrees with that statement. We really need to get back to fundamentals. Um there's there's a lot of models getting built out there that just don't make sense. And you know, if you don't understand why why does flow separate? Then you don't really you're just you're just throwing a turbulence model on a problem. You know, if you you need to understand the physics behind it so that you can pick the right one. So, um, and, and I think to some extent you really need to understand what, how the CFD is approaching that physics. Yeah, you really you, you know you need you need some numerics. Mm -hmm. Yep. To, uh, to yeah. Make, why make, make the judgment? Yeah. Why why does this why does this not it doesn't look right? Why? So I, I totally agree with that and it's it's so true and we uh we try to reemphasize it when we get a chance to talk to universities and I encourage others to um you know what, you really don't need another team building class. Uh, how how about some, some basic uh uh, numerics or some basic uh, fluid dynamics, which tends to get thrown into the elective pile these days. So. And, and, and what's more fun than that? <laughs> I know. I, know. I, I love that class. It's one of the few I remember to this day. That, that and thermodynamics were my two favorite in my, my senior year. So. <laughs> Still use them today. Um, well, thanks, guys. I really, really appreciate it. You, you know that the uh, invitation is open anytime you're out here in the Southwest. Let us know. We'd love to host you and uh, see you guys again, and hopefully we'll, we'll meet up at future events. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Thanks, thanks. very much. Enjoy. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye it truly is fascinating to talk with the people that were in the deep in the weeds in the early days of these tools. You know, we kind of forget that at some point there was a room full of young engineers slaving away at a keyboard um, to make these things that we use every day. Um, it's really a well-structured tool uh, with a lot of very deep capability uh, if you've ever used CFX. And if you listen to uh, how user-focused and technically savvy these two are, uh, you can see why the tool is the way it is. Um, this, this was the third interview with founders of Tools of the ANSYS suite. The first one uh, was back when we talked to John Swanson, the founder of ANSYS. And then actually the last episode we published, uh, I didn't realize this until I was preparing this episode. Episode 44 was the last one, uh, or two ago, actually. Uh, we spoke with David Saban, who was one of the founders of Granta. Granta is a tool that uh, ANSYS acquired recently for material intelligence. And along with explaining what Granta is and how we can use it, he did talk a little bit about their origin story. So uh, we'll add that to the list of growing founder interviews. So um, we're working hard to line up our next one, and we'll let you know when we have it. Let's go ahead and take a commercial, and then we'll come back and finish up. Hi there. Eric Miller here to talk in a little more detail about a topic we bring up a lot in these podcasts, customizing ANSYS products to automate processes or add functionality. A significant portion of PATT's consulting work in the simulation world is working with customers to write custom software that sits on top of, or even inside, various ANSYS products. These programs can connect a legacy solver, 
import proprietary boundary conditions or implement a new material model or custom fluid behavior. But most of the time, we work to write vertical applications that automate and standardize a specific customer simulation process. From chip packaging to family of parts simulation to turbine wheel geometry optimization, we can work with your team to provide productivity improvements that can make things up to 10 times faster than the current process. To learn more, contact us at info at padtinc.com or call 480-813-4884 and ask about ANSYS customization and automation. A little bit of programming can create an order of magnitude change in productivity. So not a lot of news to report. I'll just talk about the stock because that's news. Um, it's today is Friday, September 6th. And the price this morning before the market opened was $218.09 a share. And yesterday it looks like it set an all-time record high of $219.59. So congratulations to the ANSA stock. Not bad considering the ups and downs that our market continues to see. Um, if you can um, compare year to date, ANSYS is up 58.45%, while the S&P 500 is up only 21.57%. So not bad at all compared to the rest of the market. Don't really have any ANSYS news to share. I've got one bit of PADT news. Uh, we, You may have seen a press release we put out. We just installed uh, our largest additive manufacturing system ever. It's an uh, Stratasys F900, and it has a build area of 36 by 24 by 36. It's a fused deposition modeling or FDM machine, and it does uh, all the materials that Stratasys has to offer, including some really cool high temperature, chemical resistant, uh, very strong polymers that we, we really love. Um, we've been, been users of that technology since day one, since they introduced their machines back in the, in the nineties. But, uh, we, we have never had the opportunity or need for the large machine, and we finally got to the point where our customers were asking us to uh, make some parts for them on that size. So at 362436, we can make some big parts. So do consider PADT for your 3D printing needs, especially if they're large. Um, Publication-wise, uh, ANSYS blog, I'm only going to talk about one thing I saw on there. Uh, again, it's Granta, which we were just talking about our interview with them. Uh, they wrote a really cool article called Paper, Plastic, or Jute. And they took a look at using their material intelligence tools to compare and contrast, kind of optimize um, different materials for a product, the cost, the economic impact, uh, the, the, the long-term cost. It's, it's really cool. You got to read the article. Um, they did it about shopping bags, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, I won't give you away the winner, you have to go read the article, but that's in the ANSYS blog. Also of note, the latest issue of ANSYS Advantage magazine is out and their focus is on fluid dynamics, so appropriate for our interview. So do read that. There's some pretty cool articles. And as always, the, the fluid dynamics guys always have the best plots. There's some really good, good graphics in there. On our blog, um, we uh, don't really have anything new in the ANSYS world, but I do have something about simulation to share with you. And it's really a link to another website. So when I was at the Rapid TCT conference in Detroit this year, I was interviewed by the editor of the uh, ma a magazine or a website called Additive Manufacturing Media. Um, and we talked about simulation in additive manufacturing. So appropriate for this cloud. Um, the, the first interview, I give three reasons why I think where, 
where, where and why we should be using simulation and additive. Um, and you have to listen to the interview to find out what those three are. And then uh, we went off on a little bit of a tangent about topological optimization and generative design. Um, and it was enough of a tangent to make a separate interview. So there's two out there. Do go to www.padtinc.com slash blog. And it should be near the top or you can search for video interview uh, to find the links. And it was really fun talking with Stephanie Hendrickson of Additive Manufacturing Media. And we hope to uh, spread the word about the power of simulation in Additive with uh, them in the future. Upcoming events, our next webinar here at PADT is on the 11th, and it's on Fluids Innovations and ANSYS 2019 R3. So that uh, we'll, we'll follow up with the podcast actually after that one. The, uh, the R3 isn't actually released yet, so we can't really talk about it until uh, the day after which is the 11th. Um, other PADT events, the first event uh, we attended this month was here in Vail. So that was a lot of fun, as I said earlier, and I'm really enjoying it. It's going to be tough to go home. Uh, next is a webinar we are doing with the uh, an organization called the Manufacturing Tech Council. It, I'll be on a panel discussing the advances in additive manufacturing. I'll get a plug in there for simulation, but it's really about our journey, PADT's journey as a company over 25 years, starting with our... Uh, our SLA uh, 250 sterile lithography machine back in 1994 and up through the acquisition of our F900 just a few weeks ago. Um, we will also have a booth and I will be on another panel at the annual Experience IT Tech Conference in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that's put on by the, our friends at the New Mexico Tech Council. We're members of the Tech Council and we're very excited about the activities they have going on there. That's September 13th. Uh, so I'll be in town for that. And please do stop by if you are listening from Albuquerque and going to be at that event. Uh, we're also going to be at the 2019 Arizona STEM and Innovation Summit in Scottsdale on the 17th. If you're local uh, to Phoenix and are interested in STEM, maybe your kids are involved in STEM, please please do find time to come to this event. It's, it's really great and an opportunity for everybody in the uh, science, technology, engineering, and math education ecosystem to get together industry, educators, students, parents, and talk about how we can do a better job with STEM. And that's put on by the Arizona Technology Council. And uh, we're going to finish up the month, a very busy month, with our big annual Colorado customer event. It's called the 2019 Colorado Additive Manufacturing Day, but we will be talking about simulation. In fact, some folks from the ANSYS Additive team will be flying in to speak at the event, and um, it's really for all of our customers. It's in, It starts a little bit after uh, noon and goes to the uh, early evening. It's uh, outside there at a brewery by the river in downtown Littleton, uh, Colorado. We highly recommend you stop by, uh, even if you're not a big 3D printing person. We'll have a lot of folks from PADT there, uh, both on the ANSYS and Stratus aside. So be, please do register. Um, all of these events, you can find links for more information and registration at padtinc.com slash events. Um, and that's it. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to edit all this together and then hit the road for a two-hour beautiful drive through the Rocky Mountains. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and spend the rest of the day at our Littleton office and then head home late tonight uh, grudgingly. Um, do, if you've never been to this part of the country, I highly recommend a drive through the Rocky Mountains in the summer. It's just gorgeous. Um, don't forget to subscribe to www.padtinc.com slash opt-in so you can get all of our news and events. Spread the word about our podcast 
podcast, please leave a comment. Please rate us on whatever tool you use to listen to podcasts. And don't hesitate to reach out at uh, podcast at PADTINC.com. Thank you for joining us for the All Things ANSYS podcast, episode 46. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with ANSYS, Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com slash blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.